through it all, God is still so good. And I love that reminder, um, second in command over the greatest nation on the earth. Not Kamala Harris, I don't want to get confused here. We're talking about Joseph. Joseph confronted his brothers, had every right and authority to kill them on the spot. And he said, what you meant for evil, what you intended for wicked, what you intended to harm me, God used for good. And so instead, he provided for them, exalted them, he blessed them who cursed him. What a practical example of those words of Jesus, to bless those who curse us, right? So wherever God has you right now, whether you are just hanging out with your daddy because your daddy's favorite and he's given you that, that awesome coat of many colors and you're just blessed, you know, or whether you're in the bottom of a pit, that was his next path, right? Whether you're exalted over a royal household, given authority over all things, and then you get falsely accused and you get smacked back down and there you are in prison, or whether you're then exalted again, wherever you're at in that up and down roller coaster season of life, Give praise and glory to God because it's not over yet, right? Good things have yet to come. And I love that the goodness of God. Remember, goodness follows us. Look at Joseph's journey. It was not all good. But look at the goodness that followed his journey. It provided salvation not only for him and for his household. It provided salvation for the entire nation of Egypt. Because of the dream and the interpretation that God had given him. Don't, don't think smallly of the, the, the revelation that God gives you or the season that you might be in. Because God is always up to something good, right? And I appreciate, uh, Marie, your prayers to remind us of that fact. He's up to something good. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. And so it's like, sometimes it just, you, you just kind of get sort of excited. And you're like, okay, God, what are you up to? Because this is so not good. But I know you're up to something here, right? So that's what we praise God for. And it's with that, um, that reminder that we start off a brand new uh, message series this week.
And so I love how the Spirit of God just works all things out. Because what a great example, who I'd never even thought of before the Spirit moved this morning, of Joseph. I mean, when everything else is stripped away, your titles, your wealth, your money, your position, even your family is stripped away from you. We just went through Job, when your health and everything that you own is stripped away from you. God's been working us together for this series. Who are you at your core? Who are you truly? Most of us really honestly can't answer that question. But by the Spirit of God and His revelation, we're going to be able to answer that by the end of this series. That's where God is taking us, because there's a serious identity crisis that is happening in our culture, and particularly in our nation, uh, where we just don't know who we are. Look at Joseph. Who was he? He had nothing but his relationship with God and the giftings that God had given him. That's who he was. He was a child of God, gifted by God, equipped by God, and it didn't matter what the world did to Joseph, nothing could strip those things away from him because that's who he was, the core of who he was. If you find your identity in something that can be taken away from you, that's not who you are. That's a temporary title. It's a temporary label. It's like one of those Hello, My Name Is stickers. Gone in an instant. And God may do that for a season to teach us and to reveal to us who we truly are. Um, now, this, this identity crisis that, that we're suffering from, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. The sharp disagreement that we're seeing, even in our nation, over some of these um, different the titles and positions and what it means. Some of the very basic principles of our nation, we don't even understand what they are anymore. Uh, what does it mean to be a citizen of the United States of America? I used to think that I knew that that was. My sister-in-law, she became a citizen. She, uh, you know, was, was not a citizen of the United States. She got married to a naval officer and came to this country, and she went through the channels and became a NATO. Now, as of a week ago, apparently the, the, the President of the United States can sign an executive order and make you a citizen for just being and breaking in. I don't know. We don't even know what a citizen of our own nation is anymore. Um, there's disagreement on the roles of a husband and wife, right? A child, a parent. Um, disagreements over what it means to be a student, a teacher, an employer, an employee. You ever have co-workers like that? They thought they were your boss, right? They, they didn't know their role, <laughs> they didn't know their position. <laughs> like, who are you? Um, you know, what it means to, to be uh, just anything. We, we, it's so confused and blurry and, and there's such gray area now that there's such an identity crisis that we don't even know what it means to be male or female. I mean, we're literally living in a culture that doesn't even know what that means, you know? Um, we created a new classification. We call it non-binary for those who aren't staying up to date on cultural trends. Um, you know, I thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> but seriously, these days you don't even necessarily know which bathroom to use because it's just, you don't know, right? There's a movement to actually remove the concept of gender altogether. Just forget about gender, eliminate it, and whatever. You are whatever you want to be, right? You know, I mean, we can't even agree on what that means. We can't look at our crotch and know if we're male or female. I mean, this is bad. There's such an identity crisis happening in our world today, right? It is unbelievable. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just... You know, I don't know. I'm going to kind of go into this, but disappointingly, it seems like the only issues that this applies to where you can identify as something that you're not is with sexuality and with gender. 
Because think about some of these things, you know? I mean, I went into an airport and I identified as a pilot. They forcibly removed me from that airport. They didn't want me climbing onto that plane. They would have none of it. And I'm talking police officers were involved in this incident, right? I bought $100 of groceries. Went to check out at Walmart, handed the cashier 20. And she was like, um, they're 80. I'm like, no, 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 that identifies as 100. She wouldn't have it. Would not accept it. No matter how much I argued with her and disagreed, that that thing was born to be a $100 bill. I don't care what it said, right? I parked in the fire lane in front of Walmart. This story got worse, okay? Then I go outside and I find that there's a, it's, there's a trooper there and they're going to tow my car away because I parked in the fire lane. And I'm like, you can't do that. That is a fire truck. That car identifies as a fire truck. They wouldn't have any of it. They towed it away and whatever, you know? <laughs> It gets worse. I went home and Becky found out, because I've got, you know, accountability on my phone, that I installed a dating app, right? Because I identified as single. And she's like, oh, no, you ain't, <laughs> right? Why is it the only time I can identify something I'm not is when it comes to my sexuality or gender? I mean, come on. Why can't I just identify in any area of my life? Nobody can explain that one to me yet, but I don't know. Megan maybe can explain that to me afterwards. But don't get me wrong. When it comes to this issue, honestly, there's not an ounce uh, of hatred or disgust or anything that people claim that they have in my body and in my mind and in my soul toward people who identify as something they're not. There's not. I don't hate anyone. Honestly, my heart breaks for them and goes out for them, and I'll love on them the best that I can, you know? I'm not, I'm not saying this to, like, divide people even further, that kind of thing, because let's be honest, that root sin issue of not being happy with who you are, we all struggle with it. We all try to identify as something we're not. Come on, all of us have done it in our lives one way or another. Okay, Clairol can prove the points to some of you ladies out there, okay, you know, you born a brunette, you just want to be a blonde, I, I don't think, I don't, if, I'm sorry if anyone goes that, anyways, you get what I'm saying though, right, all of us in some area of our lives, we have tried to be something we're not, that's all that that is, you know, and we know that that's not, it's a miserable place to be. You can't truly be happy in that place. You can't truly just be yourself because that's the freedom that Christ has given us. The freedom to just be who we were created to be. A freedom to just be us. To not try to be something that we're not. You know, and I've tried this one many times. It just doesn't work. My doctor... I I swear I have not gained weight, you know, and I identify as a 130 pounder, but my doctor says I'm pushing 200, and I don't know, you know, I just, <laughs> translender, I love it, <laughs> that's, that's me right now, anyways, but what are we called to do as believers, how do we respond to such a basic identity crisis, such a basic identity crisis in our country, in our nation, in our backyard, in our community, this kind of identity crisis is happening. We accept everyone right where they're at the same way Christ accepted us, right? Romans 15, 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Bring praise to God. Now, accepting somebody for where they're at, that doesn't mean you agree with their decision, doesn't mean you agree with their lifestyle, doesn't mean that you're saying, yes, God gives his stamp of approval to this. But Christ didn't give his stamp of approval of your lifestyle when you were introduced to Christ either. We accept people where they're at. 
doesn't mean you say it's okay, but you accept it. Okay. You know, and sometimes we need to learn that more and more. Sometimes we are ineffective as followers of Christ because we don't understand people. And I'll be the first to admit it, I don't understand some of these things. But the only way I'm going to get to understand some of these things is to get to know somebody who's there so I can learn, you know, and, and, and accept, hey, that's, that's where you're at. I don't get it and I don't agree with it, but I get it, you know. We can accept people where they're at and still call sin, sin. Just because I call your lifestyle sinful doesn't mean that I hate you. I call my own lifestyle sinful and I don't hate myself, okay? You know, I've still got junk in my life that i got to get right. We are commanded to love, to serve, and to pray for one another so that the Holy Spirit would be the one to lead them to repentance. It's His loving kindness that draws them to repentance. And if we're not being conduits of His loving kindness, then why do you ever think anyone's going to ever repent, Right? It's his loving kindness that draws people to repentance. Repentance. To see themselves as God sees them. Repentance to bring clarity to such confusion, right? We're here this morning because somebody cared about us enough to love us where we were at and to tell us about Jesus. Not to, you know, slap us across the face because of the bonehead decisions we were making, you know? Sometimes a frying pan might need to be involved to get, bring us to repentance, but, you know, I think you shared that publicly, right? <laughs> if I didn't, I'm sorry. Ask Kim. She's got some great stories about this bonehead sitting over here. And <laughs> some of us need that. Let's be honest. I need my wife to keep me in line. Who knows where I'd be if it wasn't for her, you know, willingness to say what no one else is willing to say. We'll put it that way, right? But, you know, I look back and it's almost like God knew that this was going to be the condition of the world at some point. And this is nothing new, by the way. This is nothing new at all. Many cultures who have fallen already embraced all of these things. You know, all these weird sexual lifestyles and gender whatevers, you know. I mean, this is old news. This happened centuries ago and those nations fell, unfortunately. Don't want to follow in their footsteps. But it's almost like God knew this day would come. Because if you've ever read Genesis 1, 2, 3, you read over and over again. In the beginning, God created them. Male and female, he created them. He created them in his image, male and female. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. We all know that. Come on, let's get on with it, you know. It's like we assume something, but we didn't know that generations to come, that would not be assumed. You would not know for sure, you know. We're watching TV and I have to ask my wife, I'm like, I'm not trying to be mean. Is that a guy or a girl? I don't know. I can't tell, you know? I mean, I, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. You know, we, we, we read in the beginning that God created the male and female and they brought them together, one man, one woman, in marriage. And he repeated that several times. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously. It's almost like God knew at some point that would not be the norm. That would not be acceptable. You know, he had to write it in his word so that we would know that's the way he created things to be, right? Uh, so there'd be no confusion. There's a huge movement to even erase our history in our nation, right? We're reading about this, this whole cancel culture thing and everything. Um, you know, it's, there's two different paths you can take when you've made mistakes in your life. You can either choose to walk away from them and forget they ever existed and never talk about them again, or you can move forward in life and learn from them and talk about, hey, this is where I was and this is what God did to bring me here, right? None of us need to be ashamed of our history. None of us need to be ashamed of the people that we used to be, the mistakes that we've made. That's all part of God's story in our life. That's all part of what brings God glory. You know, and, and it's, it's really scary as a nation to think that we might eliminate some of our mistakes. I'm not saying what was done was right. 
Some of the things that we've done in our nation is very wrong. I mean, as of like, what, 50 years ago, we still had segregation. You want to talk about nation divided, you know? I mean, you can't go to the same bathroom. You can't drink out of the same water fountain. You can't ride the same bus. I mean, come on. You know, it's not all that long ago that we were living that divided. And none of us are proud of that history, but that doesn't mean that we erase it and forget that it happened. It means that we teach our children about it so that they don't make the same bonehead decision, okay? <laughs> you know, so we don't do the same thing to a group of people for whatever reason. Skin color, religious background, hair color, whatever we decide to fight about in the future, you know? We teach our children so they don't make the same mistakes. Isn't that what the Word of God does for us? I am so glad that the Word of God includes people like Peter that we read about last week. Denied that he even knew Jesus with a curse three times in a row. I'm glad that the Bible records that. Because the Bible also records that Jesus gave him the chance to repent three times and to be restored back to a leader in his kingdom, right? I'm glad that the Bible chooses to record people's mistakes, their failures, and their successes. Because if the Bible only record all the highlights and successes and victories of everyone's lives, I could never measure up and I'd never want to follow Christ. Because I knew I could never do it, right? Instead, the Bible records people at their lowest moments and people at their highest moments so that you see God at work. That it's Him, it's not us. So we don't want to cancel, you know, the things that happened in our culture and whatnot. It's, it's good for us to learn from them. But... Let's be honest, we talk about our nation and all the you know, identity crises that are happening, and I could go on all morning about all of those things. I mean, the, the lack of fathers, you know, in our nation and everything. It was an issue in the church in the beginning, right? Uh, but anyway, but, but in the church, we have these identity crises as well. What does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Because Jesus already said that a lot of people are going to do that. They're going to come whistling Dixie into the kingdom of heaven when they kick the bucket, and Jesus is going to be like... Who are you? I don't know you. Out. But they self-identify as a Christian. If you ask them if they were a Christian, they'd say yes. If you ask them, have you, you know, received the, the salvation, you know, from Jesus Christ to, to receive the forgiveness of your sins, they'd say yes. And they probably sat in church every week. And, you know, but in the end, they self-identify as a Christian, but they won't really. There's an identity crisis, even in the church, that Jesus warned us about. What does it mean to be a Christian? What should your attitude be? Can I get angry as a Christian? Right? Can I hate people as a Christian? Can I do this as a Christian? What should my attitude be? How should I respond to these different issues? You know, my neighbor moved in and, and my neighbor's got a, you know, a friend and a friend and a friend and the four of them are like, you know, they're married together and there's all kinds of weird stuff happening here. How do I respond to that as a Christian? How do I love and serve and honor them and still lead them to Christ and teach them that there's a better way, you know, and his ways? How do you do that? Well, hopefully we're going to learn some of those things, all right? What is my purpose? Why am I here? If you ask 10 different Christians some of these questions, you'd probably get 100 different answers. We're not all on the same page with really what it means to be a follower of Christ, who, what our identity is. So, to get started into this, because it's going to be really good here in the upcoming weeks, but we have to start on the same firm foundation. If we don't start on the same foundation, we're all going to end up in completely different areas and completely miss what God is trying to reveal to us here about who we are. Who we are as a Christian. The first thing and the most important thing for us to understand is that each one of us were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. That's everyone on the face of the earth was intentionally created by him. He was, they, we were all created on purpose 
and for a purpose. None of us are here by accident. None of us are here by mistake. None of us are a waste of time, no matter how many times you may have believed that about yourself or been told that about yourself. I don't care how you were conceived. You were conceived, therefore you're here for a purpose and for a reason. And that's why we believe that all life it should be protected, right? At any age, no matter what, born or unborn. Because, you know what? It may, not, it, have been, it may have been wicked and evil and ugh, just so wrong how a life came about. But the fact that life came about, that is God's ability to bring beauty from ashes. And you can look on the internet and hear some of the testimonies of people who were conceived in, in horrific situations like rape or incest and, and how God was able to bring them into a healthy family, raise them up, and they were incredible people. So we were created by God on purpose for a purpose. In fact, we were on the mind and the heart of God before we were even conceived. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. We're talking even before conception. So abortion is not even a topic at this point. Before even conception. You were on God's heart. You were on God's mind. He had a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah's was pretty lofty. And of course, I shared with Becky this morning. I'm like, I feel like this whole message is things that everybody already knows. But I want you to kind of allow the Holy Spirit to speak this to you in a way. These are very familiar scriptures, very familiar concepts. But really let him speak to your heart this morning. Because I believe that even us here this morning who have been believers for, some of you have been believers longer than I've been alive. Let's just be honest here, you know. There's still some revelation that we haven't fully understood by this. That he knew me before I was even conceived. Psalm 139, we know it full well, right? David wrote and he said, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit up, you know when I, st or when I sit down, you know when I stand up. <laughs> sit up. I, I, I don't know. Just, I must have heard that too often in school because I'm a sloucher. It just it sticks in there, you know. Sit up, sit up, sit up. Anyways, <laughs> you know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for muzzling me whenever I go to say it. <laughs> you go before me and you follow me. That's why goodness follows us all the days of our lives, right? Man, the Lord just keeps reminding us of that. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the darkness of the womb, you saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was already laid out before a single day had come to pass. And that's from the New Living Translation, by the way. You know, and if that isn't evidence enough of how great God is and how intentional and purposeful you were created, think about this moment that happened. Um, again, this is one we know full well. 
Mary was visited by an angel. I think it was actually Gabriel who visited her, right? I think he was called by name. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, thank you. Came and told her, look, you know, you're, you've been you know, chosen by God. You've been honored, you know, because of your faithfulness. And you're going to conceive a child um, by the Holy Spirit, right? No man involved. You're going to be conceived through the Holy Spirit. And then she went, and a few days later, she visited, we believe it's her cousin, it's her relative, Elizabeth. And when she visited her, at the sound of Mary's greeting, just the sound of Mary's voice, who at the very most has been pregnant, if she's even pregnant at this point, for two days, like, right? I mean, you put the timeline together, the Bible says literally in two days this has happened, um, and, and then this occurred in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says that the sound, well, a few days later, she hurried into the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered into the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a loud cry and exclaimed to Mary. All that Mary did is come in and said, Hey, how's it going, Elizabeth? And then all of a sudden, Elizabeth gives this glad cry and exclaims, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. She doesn't know she's pregnant. How does she know? She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit revealed it. Blessed are you above all women. Your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord, capital L, should visit me? When I heard your greeting, my baby in my womb jumped for joy. We know that was John the Baptist. You are blessed because you have believed. Why are we blessed? For the same reason Mary was blessed. You are blessed because you have believed that the Lord would do what he has said. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he has said. Now her circumstances were just awful. That's a Christmas message for another time. A teenage pregnancy, unwanted, uncertain. He was just going to divorce her. Like all this nastiness was happening around it. But God's goodness came through it. It, this is like the clearest evidence I can find in the word of God. I mean, look at that. Not even just filled by, anyways, wow. The power of that. The power of that. You were created on purpose for a purpose. I think it was the skit guys that put this out on the internet the other day. They wrote, how cool is it that the same God who created the mountains and the oceans and the galaxies looked at you and thought the world needed one of you too. That is that is the truth. That isn't just a cute hang it behind your couch saying or paint it on your child's nursery. This is God's truth spoken about you. He designed and created everything and he's like, oh, you know what would be so cool? They need a new hope. They need a Steve. <laughs> they, they just, they need, you know. And I'm like, really? I don't think anyone needs this, you know. But God says... Not what I say, but what God says is that the world needed me. That's amazing. And he needs you. And he needs you not to identify as something you're not. He needs you to be you. He needs, not once desires would be happy about. He needs you to be you. Who you were created to be. He is fully convinced, not only that the world needs you, but the Heavenly Father saw you. And all the sin that you were going to commit and all the messes that you were going to make. And he said, you know what? They need saved. So I'm going to sacrifice my own son so that they might be able to receive salvation. He knew that some people would not. And you know what? He still chose to make that sacrifice knowing it would be worth it to make a way for them to be saved. Not only that, Jesus 
being God himself, the second part of the triune Godhead, right, says, you know what? I agree. And he was willing. He saw your life and he said, you are willing to die. You are worth dying for. You're worth dying for. That's how much he values you. That's how much he loves you more than you will ever know. Now here's where the confusion begins. God's going to bring clarity to all of this identity crisis confusion happening in the world today. This is what God's word teaches us. Because he's not a God of confusion, right? First Corinthians 14, not a God of confusion. Not a God of chaos. This is what God's word clearly teaches us about this issue. Because people will often do what? They will choose a sinful lifestyle and what will they say? I was born this way. It's the way I was born. Saying as if though that's how God made me. So it can't be wrong, Right? And Christians are like, God did not make you that way. I got news for you this morning. Yes, he did. Because we were born into sin, right? <laughs> we were all born that way. You know what I was born to do? I was born to not like what you said to me and punch you in the face for it. I was born to want what you have and I'm going to steal it. I was born to, you just looked at me the wrong way, so I'm going to kick you. You know, I was born to just me, 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 my way, my way, way, my, my wants, and I don't care what happens to you as a result. I'm going to get what I want, right? How I want it, when I want it. Let's look at it. You know, if you don't believe it, work in the nursery and deal with some two, three-year-olds, okay? We were born into sin, Yes, they were born that way. Guarantee they were. Guarantee they were born that way, right? And no Christian should ever disagree with that. We were created for the plans and purposes of God, but we were born into sin. You can thank that on your great, great grandparents, right? Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. Sin came through their bloodline. Life comes through the second Adam, Jesus' bloodline. I was born to say hurtful things to you because it makes me feel better. You're ugly and I hate you. You know? We're born to do that. It's what we want to do. It's what our flesh wants to do, right? I was born to do that. I was born to bite people whenever they annoy me. I mean, right? You've got to teach people not to do that. And then guess what? I grew into adolescence. I became a teenager. By God's own design, the way I was born, right? Hormones kicked in. I wanted sexual pleasure, and I'll get it no matter what it takes, right? Don't care who, what, when, where, why, and how. It feels good, I'm going to do it, right? Let's be honest. We were born that way. We were born that way. And the more that we grow up, guess what? Just the more creative we get with ways to get what we want. We get creative with our sin, and we learn how to kind of hide it so it doesn't look like sin, but it's still sin. But they all... All issues still stem from that reality that we were born this way. We were born into sin. And that's why Jesus thought and taught that we all need to be born again. Right? Wait, am I getting ahead of myself? Yeah, we're all born into sin. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. Anyway, Psalm 51.5, that's one of the clear revelations of that we were born into sin. But Jesus thought that we needed to be born again. And that's what he taught. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21. If you remember this story, it's really, it really creeped out one of the teachers of the law. We were born into sin. That's why we have to be born again. There's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. <laughs> to, right? 
You don't want to identify yourself with Jesus as one of those freaky Christ followers. So at night, when all your buddies are in bed, because you're a teacher of the law, you sneak away and you talk to Jesus, right? Identifying as something that you're really not. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This was a, a closet Christian, a closet follower of Christ. He was firmly convinced that Jesus was the Savior, but all of his religious buddies didn't agree. So at night, he would go and talk to his rabbi, Jesus. Just, Man, we, we need to start living in the light, don't we, as Christians? Let God's light shine on all of your boneheadedness and mistakes and failures and good things and wonderful gifts and talents. Just let, let the light of Christ shine. In verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I mean, that's just gross and nasty. What the heck are you talking about here, Jesus, right? Jesus replied, and I, I just pictured him having a laugh on his a smile on his face, you know, laughing. I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of both water and the spirit. Born again. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say must be born again. The wind. Take the wind, for example. It blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. In the same way, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Right? I can't explain. Like, I've, I have evidence of it, and you can see the evidence of it. I know the wind's blowing out there because the snow's going sideways and there's leaves moving around, Right? But I can't see the wind. I just see the evidence of the wind. And Jesus is saying it's the same way with the Spirit-filled life. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the evidence of it through the lives that are filled by it and touched by it. That's us. So Nicodemus asked, but how, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, you know what? You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't even understand these things? I assure you, we who tell you what we have seen, and yet you won't believe with our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I say to you about all these earthly things, then how can you possibly believe if I tell you about the heavenly things? Like, he's saying, look, you, you guys, like, he's not talking just to Nicodemus at this point, because Nicodemus believes. You teachers of the law, who ought to know all these things, you won't even believe the evidence that wind's there. So how can I teach you about wind? It's literally what he's saying. That's why he used that analogy. He's like, I, you won't believe in the earthly evidence of it. So why would you even care about how it happens or where it comes from? You, you don't know anything about it, right? He said, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... And remember, that was for the healing of the people. Anybody who came and looked at it was healed. He says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And we all know what pull he was talking about, right? The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him, he's already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And that judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. I don't think there's any coincidence that Jesus is talking about darkness and light to really drive home the conviction to Nicodemus, you came here at night to come and talk to me about this. You need to make a choice, brother. You living for me or you living for the world? You want to identify as a follower of me or do you want to identify as one of your crony religious buddies that teaches the law about me but doesn't really know me? <sighs> and isn't this still true? Ask any police officer. They don't have to chase down crimes all day long. They have to chase down crimes all night long. People who do wicked, evil things, it does it in the darkness at night when you can kind of hide and sneak around about it, right? Still to this very day. Jesus said in verse 20, John chapter 3, verse 20, All who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right, they come to the light so that others see that they are doing what God wants. And I, that's an awesome teaching, and I could keep going into it, but I can tell we're getting stale and moldy, so let's move on. So, that reality. We were born into sin. Yes, we were all born that way. That's why we need to be born again. This is not a cool 20th century cliche that you put on t-shirts, you know? Like, I saw this one that was really cool. It says, born, born. It's like a conversation starter shirt, you know? And they're like, what does that mean? Born again. Born, born, right? Get it? And it's listed twice, and then you can tell them about Christ, you know? It's not just a cool catch thing. It's what Jesus taught. You were born once of water, human anatomy. You were born that way into sin. That's why you have to be born again, not of flesh, but of spirit. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God and to even see it, let alone enter into it. We were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to rise up above sin and to live a full life of abundance. Until then, we're going to keep living, filling our life with things of the world. When you're born of the world and you don't have the Spirit, you keep filling yourself with things of the world, thinking eventually, if I, if I drink enough, if I smoke enough, if I work enough, if I make enough, if I gain enough, if I do something enough, I'll be happy, right? And we all know how fleeting that is, because everything of this world that you fill your life with is going to let you down at some point. We were born that way, but we were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us joy, despite whatever circumstances are, right? And to be happy and content no matter what. There's a difference between being born and being created. You were created for a certain purpose. That's not the way you were born. You weren't born into your purposes of God. You were born into the potential to obtain those purposes. But you won't just fall and stumble into them through life. Unless you start living life on purpose, you're never going to fulfill your purpose. If you just keep living life the way you're born, you're going to die into a death of eternity. You've got to be born again by the Spirit to obtain what potential you were created for. And it's only through that born again process that you can actually receive eternal life and enter into that. So before we proceed through this whole series, right, we've got to understand this. 
We've got to understand th this identity crisis that is happening for your life. And it starts with that reality. Because love requires a choice. You were born not into spiritual life. You were born into sin. But you were born with the potential. You were born to choose life. You were born to choose freedom, liberty. You were born to choose joy beyond happiness. That's what you were created for. So there's two paths you can choose. You can choose just to be born and to let life happen to you and die. Or you can be born, receive eternal life, and truly live. Only through truly living, through being born again, can you ever reach the potential for which you were created. Created for, not born for. Created for on purpose, not born for, right? You see this difference here that takes place? Born into flesh, but born again by the Spirit. But, even though we're born again by the Spirit, what do we still live in? This flesh, right? Romans chapter 8. Kind of brings some more clarity to this dual life that we live I'm sorry, I'm all, I'm all behind myself. Let's go. Dun, 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 dun. There we go, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to live for the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, what's your end result? You die. That's it. When people tell you, I'm born, I live, I die, that's it. I, I was born from dirt, I turned to dirt, whatever. There's some truth to that, isn't there? That is true of your life unless you're born again. And by the way, that's not the full story. That's what the enemy tells you. You turn to dirt again. We know that God tells us that years, there's eternal life for everybody. <laughs> one of life in heaven in his presence. One in the fiery pits, you know, of hell that was created for, you know, Satan and all of his demons, the angels that chose to follow him. Anyways... Man, but with these two people passing, like, it just, every day we should live with that in mind. None of us know what our next day is. Not just that, the people that you live around, man, they're here today, going tomorrow. You never know when they're going to be standing before Christ. Don't let another day go by without at least telling them. Give them the option to choose or deny Christ, right? Because how are they going to believe unless they hear about it? And how are they going to believe about it unless somebody tells them about it? And how is anyone going to tell about it unless someone is, is sent by them? And how is anyone going to be sent unless we're born again? We're born again. And so the cycle begins. We tell people about Christ, they can be born again. And they tell people about Christ, and then they can be born again. Discipleship. Okay, so verse 13. For if you live according by the flesh, you're just going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and therefore you live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves. You want to talk about slavery? It's all around us in the world. People are living in slavery. Christ came to set them free from that worldly, fleshly slavery. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves. So that you live in fear. Is anyone living in fear around you these days? That's not a life filled by the Holy Spirit. You don't got to be afraid about what's going to come. You need to be aware of what's coming. And it may not be bad what's coming. But you don't need to fear it. You don't need to fear it at all. 
Rather, you received the Spirit that brought about your adoption. And by Him we cry, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the greatest privileges that you can possess, and that's why I'm not waiting until the next message, because you need to hear about it this morning. When you are born again, you are given the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you receive adoption. Because you put your faith in Jesus, you are now a child of God. We are not all God's children. That is a huge lie out there in the world. That people say, well, now we're all God's children. No, you're not. You're all created by God, but you're not all God's children. The only ones who are God's children are the ones who have received the Spirit. It is the Spirit who has adopted you and sealed you and signed your His. He gave you kind of like your last name in our culture, you know. Whenever you stand before the judge in adoption and, you know, no longer whatever Stephen Smeltzer, I'm now Stephen Cromer, you know. I mean, you get adopted. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You are a child of God. And that should be your number one form of identity. If you have no idea what your giftings or talents or skills are, if you have no idea anything in this world, know this one thing. You put your faith in Christ and you choose to receive his salvation, you're a child of God. Start there. You're his child. Think about that inheritance that you've received. Everything. All power, all authority, everything's been put under his feet, right? You are a child of God. So child of God, start living by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Stop living dead and start living life, right? You've been born again. Stop living like you're dying and start living like you're alive in Christ. Put to death those old sinful deeds and embrace the new creation that the Holy Spirit is putting together within you. You were knit together by God in your mother's womb in the flesh. Now you're being knit together by that same Holy Spirit in the Spirit. You're a new creation. There's something new happening inside of you. Embrace that person, not the person you used to be. Dance and sing in the freedom that you've received. You know, and, and, and let that, all that weight of your sin and your shame and your condemnation, just cast that weight off. You don't need to carry around no more. That's not who you are. You may still get tangled up in it every now and then, right? But that's not who you are. You've kicked that stuff off. You're a new person in Christ. We were created. The person that we were created to be is so much more than the person that we were born to be. Don't settle for who you were born to be. Settle for nothing less than who you were created to be. Sickness and disease and suffering may run in your earthly family. You may have been born that way, but you've been born again. You've got a new bloodline running through your veins, right? And last time I checked, healing runs in my family. Drunkenness doesn't run in my family. Deliverance runs in my family, right? Come on. You've been born again. You've got a new family line. You've got a new bloodline. You've got a new destiny. And your destiny is not the same destiny as all of your relatives. Your destiny is who God created you to be. Very uniquely created you. You may have been born that way, but you've been born again a different way. And that's what we're going to embrace. So, next week, we're going to start exploring 
from that firm foundation, being born again, being a child of God, onward into what your new identity is. Because I'm not going to sit down with each one of you and counsel you about your past and what's happened in your family and what's happened. None of that matters at this point. What matters is where we're heading together. So what we're going to talk about is who you are in Christ. Your new identity. Your new identity. The new person that you were created for. I know, I'm flashing everybody. Ah, flashing everyone. I got, sorry. Woo. Yeah. I was born to be a flasher, but I am born again to clothe myself in humility and gentleness. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I guess you guys needed this, Steve. All right, so we're going to close this morning. <laughs> we're going to close this morning with just a shot of praise, a song of praise, because you were fearful. You're a piece of work. I'll just tell you that, okay? You're a piece of God's workmanship. <laughs> and it's good. It's good. Yeah. Woo. <laughs>